but really glad to be with you. Um, I guess I'm following in the steps of the fall retreat with Randy Garris. Randy was my preacher for 30-some years, well, uh, the 35 years I was at Ozark Christian College, and, and now I'm in this, uh, this church that's quite elderly in many ways, but uh, we're even trying to leverage traditional music, finding that some young people actually want it in the rootedness of the church, you know. I'd love to have a high liturgical service. I don't know that I can sell that yet exactly where I am, but anyway, you bless me tonight by your singing, and I wonder if we could just bow for a word of prayer. Thank you, Drew, for your kind words. Actually, he's smarter than he looks. He avoided me for four years. That's the truth. <laughs> so that's good. Alec, Alex wasn't quite so... <laughs> oh, never mind. Anyway, let's, let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, who, who is like unto you? And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight because you and you alone are a rock and our redeemer and for this we pray in the strong name of Jesus and all the college ministry students said Amen. Amen. boy Drew gave me a great theme the mission of God in the parables of Jesus the mission of God in the parables of Jesus. Here's the thing about Jesus. He, he wasn't frantic. He wasn't like yours truly, type A personality, very driven. He walked everywhere he went, and he always got there on time. He wasn't frantic, but, but he was very serious about his mission. Very, it started early, when he had the book of Leviticus memorized, at age 12, his bar mitzvah. Son of the law. When our grandkids turn 12, we have 15 of them. We take them away. We steal them from their parents. And we, we, we kind of try to cram all of the things we believe down their precious little throats. You know, when they're 12. So Jesus is 12. He gets lost from Mary and Joseph. Can you imagine God in heaven thinking, I gave you my only begotten son. <laughs> and you lost him. Anyway, I wonder what that was like. But do you remember when Mary said, why did you trouble us so? Didn't you know, age 12, age, I've known 12-year-olds, okay? I've been in church camp with them. Not like this church camp, gee whiz. But anyway, um, I've never heard anybody who's 12 say this. I am consumed by being about my father's business. Age 12. He's very aware of this mission, being in my father's house. Uh, all the I came statements. Can you just think of some of the I came statements? Uh, they're incarnational statements. They're why he came. I came to seek and to save the lost, he told that little vertically challenged man that was up a tree. I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. I came to give life and give it miserly, right? No, give it abundantly. All these, I came, here's an interesting one, not to bring peace but a sword. All these I came statements. And, and last week, I've been doing these uh, table fellowship scenes in the Gospel of Luke right now. We've called our theme for the year at my church, Open Door in 24. Aren't I original? Anyway, it rhymes and everything. But open, anyway, we're talking about open table, open door, open table. Who needs to be at your table? 
And so we're working through those uh, table fellowship scenes in the Gospel of Luke, because Luke tells us quite a few. And we were in chapter 12 last Sunday, and I couldn't help but think of that discourse. It's probably the discourse that Jesus preached to larger than any other crowd. The Bible says in chapter 12, verse 1 of Luke, that thousands upon thousands of people were there. Probably bigger than the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, the Greek word is myriads. That's a word used to talk about angels. God has millions of angels that serve him every day. So you, and the Bible says they were stepping on one another. So if it's your one shot to preach to a big crowd, here's what Jesus says by the time it ends. He said, I have a fire to cast upon the earth and would that it was already kindled. I have a baptism to undergo and I wish it was already happening. You see what I mean? From the time he was 12 to the I came statements to Luke chapter 12, about a year away from the cross, he's very aware of his mission. What's the mission of God? But then it comes to us in these upside down stories we call parables. Oh, they're slippery little things. They're kind of like a bar of soap in the shower. You know, when you think you got it, you don't. And that's what these things are. They're just, what are these stories of Jesus that he tells? Because in these 40, there's about 40, more metaphors and images, but, but about 40 anecdotal stories, parables, and in many of them is the mission of God for your life and for mine. So we need to unpack a few. Uh, you know, these things in each of our sessions, I'm going to try to give you a little window to some parables and what they mean. This word parabale is a compound Greek word. Para means beside. Bale comes from the verb balo, which means to throw or to cast. So the idea of a parable is that Jesus has got a truth he wants to teach you, and he's going to throw a story alongside of it so you get it. Parabale. It's a comparison. That's what it is. It's a comparison. The kingdom of heaven is like. Okay? But it's a true-to-life comparison. In other words, it corresponds to the reality of Jesus' day. When he said, a man went forth to sow. What, what do you see in your mind's eye? I grew up in Iowa. I see a 40-20 John Deere tractor. That's what I see. But you see, these parables correspond to reality. But there's a point in most of the parables, not all, but most of them, where they break with reality and they turn into a fictional analogy. You find yourself reading and going, would that really happen? You, you say, I guess it could happen, but that's really strange. That's really odd. Because they're true-to-life comparisons that can leave you dumbfounded. It's like you just kind of read the story and you go... What father would say after they've mistreated his servants, I know what I'll do. I will send my son. They'll respect my son. Oh, you think? They're going to kill him and throw him outside the vineyard. Let's see, where did Jesus die? Outside the city. I know Sunnybrook goes to uh, the Holy Land. How many have been, anybody been to the Holy Land? And, uh, and they've been there with Jim Johnson. Well, you must do this. You can't go to heaven without, uh, <laughs> without doing that. So, so get on board. Oh, you're probably paying college tuition, aren't you? Anyway, so, oh, we do. Rachel, you have been. Okay, very good. Anyway. <laughs> so. Anyway, Jesus is crucified outside the city, just like his parables. Did Jesus ever write himself into his own stories? I think he might have. So they're upside down stories, these true-to-life comparisons that can leave you dumbfounded. <laughs> but then, if you're open to it, 
open to the dynamic reign of God in your life. Because that's what the kingdom means. Basileia, the Greek word means God's dynamic reign in your soul, in your heart, in your life. The best definition of parable, it just can't be improved upon, was a scholar about 100 years ago or so by the name of C.H. Dodd. And C.H. Dodd said this. He said a parable is a metaphor or a simile usually drawn from everyday common life, arresting the hearer in its vividness and strangeness. Then he says this. But leaving the subject in sufficient doubt in the mind to tease it into active thought. Now that's a mouthful, isn't it? Let me try that again. A parable is a metaphor or simile drawn from everyday life, fishing, farming, yeast in dough, mustard seeds, stuff like that. Arresting the hearer in its vividness or strangeness, you hear it and you go, oh my, that's an interesting story, Jesus. But then, the subject of which as to its precise application, is left in sufficient doubt to tease the mind into active thought. Let me illustrate it. Let's think about it this way. Let's suppose you got this guy named Levi, and he's married to Jochebed, and they have a little boy named Josiah. And it's the first century AD in Israel, and uh, Jesus has been preaching in the hills of Galilee, and Levi, who's a farmer, because most everybody farmed, says to Jochebed, his wife, you know, honey, I got the farming all caught up. I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to take Josiah and go listen to that Galilean preacher today. She said, no, you're not. Last time you took Josiah, you lost him. You're not taking Josiah. Yeah, well, honey, I'll watch him, I promise. She said, well, you be back in time for dinner. We're having soup. Okay. So... Levi takes Josiah, and they go out for the day to listen to Jesus preach. When they get home that night, and he did bring Josiah with him, that was very nice, and it's dinner time, so they sit down to the table of soup, and Jochebed says, like most wives do, well, and Levi gives a typical husband response, what? Well, was he a good preacher, the Galilean? Levi said, I guess so. Well, what did he talk about? Oh, I don't know his preaching. It's just he told stories. Well, were they good stories? Says Jochebed. Levi said, I guess so. You know, like fishing and farming and women putting yeast in dough and treasures in fields and pearl merchants in search of fine pearls. It just, he just told stories. Jochebed says, what do they mean? And he goes, I don't know. <laughs> About three days later, old Levi's out in the garden. He's hoeing his beans. And all of a sudden, he kind of has a Christian twitch. <laughs> Jochebed! Jochebed! I don't think he was talking about dirt. <laughs> I think he meant... Our hearts. You following me? The subject of which, as to its precise application, is left in sufficient doubt to tease the mind into active thought. That's why this is a good place to go to talk about the mission of God in your life.
and in the life of Jesus through this wonderful avenue called parables, upside down stories. Now, here's what we're going to do this weekend. I got three shots at you. The first one is sowing the seeds. The second one is helping the people. The third one is finding lost things. Two of them are from Luke, but tonight, if you have your Bibles or devices, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13. Because this is a sermon, a discourse of Jesus, the third of five in the book of Matthew, and it's all in parables. The parallel account in Mark says he didn't say anything to them that day without using a parable. So it's Matthew 13, Mark 4, Luke 8. Those are the parallel passages. We will be in Matthew 13. And so we're going to be talking about sowing the seed. Sowing the seed. Now let me just ask you this question. I told you these parables are slippery little things. Is this a story about the sower? Is this a story about the seed? Which Mark's gospel says it was the word. The word. The gospel word. Or is it about the soil? The sower, the seed, or the soil? Which is it? I'll tell you. Yes. <laughs> it's all of them. That's the power of these analogies. They can just kind of break loose. So we're going to read about sowing the seeds and make some comments here. You got your Bibles, 13.1, 13.1 in Matthew. That same day, oh, it had been quite a day, <laughs> He'd been teaching so much that his family came and said, put him in the white coats. Let's haul him off to the psych ward. He's obviously deranged. Sometimes when you're really serving Jesus, it'll look that way to the watching world, won't it? Jesus freaks. You know. That same day, Jesus went out of the house. I assume that's Simon Peter's house, though I can't prove it. I've been to Capernaum a number of times, and, and there is a house. They have Catholic friends have built a church over it. Because, you know, they think he's a very special person in church history. He went out of the house and he sat beside the sea. Oh, those waves that lap up from the Sea of Galilee to the shore line of Capernaum. A middle-class fishing village on the northern tip. And the great crowds gathered around him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. You see, he knew about PA systems before there were PA systems. He knew his voice would bounce off the water. We read about George Whitfield and John Wesley who preached to 45,000 people at times with no PA. You talk about speaking from your diaphragm. Wow. So, verse 3, And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. Well, the Bible's pretty logical. That's what sowers do. Okay? And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seed fell on the rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on the good soil and produced grain. Now here comes the curveball. Remember what I told you? The parables will shock you. They will make a turn. Here's the shocking part. But that good soil produced a hundredfold. Everybody in the crowd that day, when they heard Jesus say that, went, oh, that's not normal. 
Now in Illinois, where I ministered, and in Iowa, where I grew up, 164 bushel corn acre, that's sure. (laughs) But nobody was putting nitrogen back in the soil in those days. No, if you got 15 to 20% yield, that was a great harvest. And where this parable goes to fictional analogy is Jesus says, 100-fold, 60-fold, 30-fold. Then he says, can you hear it? I mean, can you really hear it? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. There's the story. You know it well. You've heard it before. In fact, the prodigal son would be the most familiar parable, right? We'll talk about that. The, the second most familiar would be the Good Samaritan. We'll talk about that. But if I was putting in the top five, I'd have to include the parable of the sower and the soils and the seed. And here's why. Because this one is the one that Jesus says, if you don't get this one understood, you ain't going to get out of kindergarten. You've got to get this one because it's kind of the hermeneutical interpretive key to all the others. And that's why when he got done with this, he has ears to hear, let him hear. Somebody got over to the boat. Maybe it was Simon Peter. It never occurred to Simon not to say something. And so Simon says, um, excuse me, Lord, um, why do you talk this way? Well, Jesus says, I talk this way so that no one will understand me. Excuse me? This is very interesting. There's a quote from Isaiah 6 where Isaiah is called as a prophet. You hear, but you'll not hear. You'll see, but you'll not see. Because if you would understand, then you would repent. And then God said, I'd have to forgive you. Isn't that the plan? There's a difference between Matthew 13 and Mark 4. So here's your Greek lesson for the night. In Matthew's account, Jesus, why do I preach in parables? I preach in parables. The Greek word is hati. Because they don't understand. Now that makes sense, doesn't it? I preach in parables so it can be put in a little story form so they can get their arms around it. Okay, that's good. But you get to Mark chapter 4, and in Mark's account of this same story, he uses a different word. It's the word henna. It means, I preach in order that they won't understand. Okay, Jesus, let me get this straight. You preach in parables so nobody will understand. Is that what you're saying? Correct. See, parables will do for you tonight what they did for the original listeners. They're going to sift everybody here. Only the interested survive in parables. Are you interested? Only the interested survive. Because Jesus will use this story to kind of sift us out. So he goes on to explain that. And then here comes the explanation of the story. Verse 18 in Matthew 13, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one, symbolized by the birds, of course, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. That was what was sown along the path. As for what was sown in the rocky ground, that's the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation, that means press down, Thelpis, it's the idea between a rock and a hard place. When tribulation or persecution, dioko, to hunt down like an animal, arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word of God, but the cares of this world. Let me ask you, does that ever distract you? Boy, it does me. Or how about this? The deceitfulness of riches. Take that phrase and stick it on Wall Street. 
The deceitfulness of riches. Choke the word and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word, understands it, and he indeed bears fruit and yields, in the case, a hundredfold, another 60, another 30. You'll notice Matthew moves from the top number down. In Mark's account, it goes 30, 60, 100. In Matthew, it goes 160, 30. So what do we make of this? Are you the soil? We know the seed is the word of God. And we know the sower is. Ah, this is where it gets tricky. Who is the sower? Well, you might say, if it's sowing the gospel, then it must be Jesus. I mean, the answer is always Jesus in Sunday school, right? It's Jesus. Well, maybe. Maybe it's college students. Maybe it's elders in churches. Maybe it's, I don't know. Jesus never, he just leaves some things flapping in the wind. But when I'm in this story, here's what I see. The sower sows his seed rather indiscriminately. Do you notice that? He just takes a wad of it in his hand and just chucks it out there. You think, boy, you didn't grow up in Iowa, did you, Jesus? Because, you know, you've got to prepare the field. You've got to put the nitrogen back in the soil. You've got to make sure the rows are straight. You've got to... There's preparation to do. This sower just kind of randomly just throws seed out there. Almost in, like it doesn't matter. He's not very careful. He must not be a very good farmer. Aren't there some preparatory steps? Does anybody know the name Jim Simbola? Jim Simbola. He was associated for so many years with the Brooklyn Tabernacle Church in New York City. He wrote a book called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. You've probably heard of this guy. When we were in Denver, we moved to Denver for a while and then came back to Ozark to teach again. But when, anyway, when we were in Denver, he came to one of the churches and he's big on prayer and he did a prayer conference and we all went. And you know what that rascal did? He took a shot at those of us who try to make our churches appeal to a certain age group. I told you my age demographic is 142. Okay, It's pretty easy to appeal to them because most of them are dead. But anyway, it just... <laughs> No, I mean when they come to church. But, but I'm just saying, here's, like, 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 I mean, you're in a college town for heaven's sakes. And so look at, look at this good group that's here tonight. I mean, obviously, Sunnybrook wants to make an appeal to you. And I have friends that are on the staff at a church in Phoenix, actually the suburb Peoria, uh, Arizona. And, and their goal was always to aim, forgive me, ladies, forgive me, ladies, to the 35-year-old male. Because ladies are so often more touched by the gospel and come in better numbers. But this preacher felt like, no, no, you know, if we don't appeal, if we appeal to the other people, we'll never get the guy. If we appeal to the 35-year-old male with a wife and two kids, then we'll get the whole family. So any song on stage that sounds too gooey and sticky, like, I'm falling in love with Jesus, oh, quit, stop, please. You know, nothing wrong with that, but if it sounds a little mushy, that song's out. Now, you can like that approach or not like that approach, but here's Jim Cimbala. He works in New York City. Eight million people, our largest city in the United States. And here's this church. He came to a prayer conference and he said, target audience? Where do you read about that in the book of Acts? They just kind of cast the seed. So eunuchs came in. Eunuchs came in? Uh, um well-known women came in. Uh, well, uh, women are mentioned in the book of Acts that 
They had political power. Uh, in fact, we forget sometimes when we're talking about the oppression of women in the ancient world, which was true in places, but the Romans had a great respect for the women. And it, it very So you got all these, it doesn't look like they're doing much. They're just kind of cast. I'm all for target audiences. I just think everybody needs to be in the target. This guy just, he just lets it fly. And you know what? Some of it will work. Um, in Israel, the only place that probably has as many rocks as Israel is Missouri and Oklahoma. <laughs> and so when you do this, you can hit all four soils. I grew up in Iowa. When I first read this as a little kid, I thought, wow, he must throw some of it in the good soil and they kind of winds up like a baseball pitch and chucks some out in the ditch and then way out in the road and, oh no, in Israel you just go, hmm? And you hit all four. So the first thing I notice in this story is that the sower seems to sow indiscriminately. Here's the second thing I notice. The sower encounters four different types of soils. That's, that's the most obvious thing. Let's just walk through them a little bit here. Hard soil. Here's the interesting thing about the parables. Oh, I guess I better just make a confession. I've been all four. Have you? There have been times I've been hard. You're not going to penetrate me with that gospel. Not today. Mm -mm. My Broncos didn't make it to the Super Bowl. Mm -mm. I'm not. So, uh, you ever been, you know somebody hard? Can I tell you about Don? Uh, Don um, came to our church. He, he had done some things with his daughters that weren't right. So I had to spend some time in a facility, get some healing. But finally, he and his wife, Barb, came, and they start, we started studying. People told me in my church, quit wasting your time on them. I went every Thursday night from about 7 to 10, and we studied the Bible. And one glorious, very hot August morning, here came Don and Barb down the aisle, confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. We baptized them that morning. What I didn't know is that Don, as an unemployed person, the next week started tithing, y'all with me, 10% of your income, tithing his unemployment check to the church. I didn't know that. I never said a word to him about giving in the offering plate. The next week he came and he tithed his unemployment check. The third week he came after becoming a Christian and he tithed his unemployment. The fourth week, uh, things were tight at home. He didn't bring a tithe. Guess what I preached on that morning? I mean both barrels. I just came at him. Now listen, you need to give to the Lord as he's prospered you. You need to give to the Lord your coined life. This is serious business. Laying up treasures in heaven? I mean, I let him have it. Kind of like the old Methodist preacher, Clovis Chapel, who said, I love to preach on giving. He said, I love to watch the generous smile. I love to watch the stingy squirm. That was kind of my wrong-headed attitude that day. I just let him have it. I noticed Don didn't say much when he went out of church that morning. We had an evening service, and so he came back that night. He didn't say, hello, good evening. Hi, Mark. It was, well, I brought the rest of it. Huh? I brought the rest of it. Don, what were you talking about? Well, the tithe. You tithe? You're unemployed. He said, I know that, but I get a check for being unemployed, and I 
First week I tithe, second week I tithe, third week I tithe. Today I didn't tithe, and then you get up there and do that on me. In my earlier years, I would have said to him, hey, look, most of the time I'm up there, I'm just kidding. Anyway, um, <laughs> but I said to him, well, Don, <laughs> welcome to the Christian life. You've been hard. See, the danger was that the bird had almost come and stolen that word about giving to the Lord away from Don, but we just saved him in the nick of time. I read about rocky soil. People start out pretty good. And then, hmm, I taught college kids for 35 years. And uh, I think I saw this parable lived out in front of me every semester. 70 semesters. Because it's easy to start. But you don't win unless you break the tape at the end of the race. And so I remember one time on an Easter Sunday, here came these two ladies. They, I, I had a little connection with them. We had talked before, but they just showed up on Easter. They came forward at the end of the service. They gave their lives to Christ. They wanted to be baptized. I was thinking, man, I don't know if you know Genesis from maps. I, I'm not sure about this. And, and so, no, we want So we baptized them. Never saw them again at church. I went to their house, and the one lady's dog bit me. I thought, man, ministry's hard. Anyway, I just, um, people can start out and then just falter. What about the, the thorny soil? One of my favorite preachers is in his 80s now. He was from Des Moines, Iowa. He went to Lincoln Christian University and became a preacher and became a scholar. I can't teach in preaching classes what this guy can do because he's just so phenomenal. And still in his 80s, he's phenomenal. His name is Tom Ewald. He's one of my favorite preachers. Our founding dean, Seth Wilson, he thought Tom Ewald was about the best preacher he had ever heard. But it, would, it came close to not being. Because growing up in Des Moines, Iowa, after his freshman year in college, he went home. And he got a job laying brick, mixing mud and laying brick, mixing mud and laying brick. And he was good at it. All the workers called him Deacon. Hey, Deacon, make some more mud. Hey, Deacon, bring us that pile of bricks. Hey, Deacon. And he just kept his Christian witness. He didn't ridicule him back. He didn't return evil for evil. <laughs> he just kept laying brick and mixing mud. By the end of the summer, the boss had noticed his tremendous work ethic. He said, Tom, didn't call him deacon, Tom, I don't know what you're studying at that little Bible school in Illinois, but if you will come work for me, you will never lack to have food on your table. I will reward... And Tom Ewald, who's one of the greatest preachers I know, said, I was really drawn. I felt the temptation to chuck it and start just laying brick to provide for my future and my family's future. And he didn't even have a family at that time. The power of money. You, you, you looked on the news and see what kind of money's being laid down on Sunday? Betting on this and betting on that. and the power of money. 
You, you aware what the seats cost? 50-yard line, front row, $75,000. 30-second commercial, 6 to $8 million. That's more money I make in a whole year. Um, <laughs> look, rocky soil. And then good soil. Good, good soil. Some, some get, it works. So can I tell you about who I had lunch with yesterday? Charles. Charles Selix. He's a Joplin High School graduate this past May, so we're coming up on a year. He's not going to college. He's on the spectrum, but he's very bright. Doesn't have a driver's license yet. A little bit socially awkward. <laughs> he walks in two weeks after he graduated from high school. Never seen him before. Comes in with his dad. His background is Lutheranism. And he said, uh, I've been reading your, your website. I've been studying the Bible with a friend of mine at lunchtime at Joplin High School. I'm convinced that the Bible says I should be immersed. Would you immerse me? I said, well, Charles. Wow. I said, when? He said, today. Today. Well, let's go back in the office. So we went back in the office and we studied because I don't want people to just get wet. I want to know who Jesus is. I want to know how the cross is the final and complete work of Jesus and how it squares it with God in heaven. I want him to know that stuff. And so we worked on that a little bit. Oh, I'm not the gatekeeper on the kingdom of God. So we got into the baptistry and right in the announcement segment of the worship service, I said, this is Charles Selix, everybody. We've kind of witnessed a book of Acts thing today. He just showed up. His dad's right there. Hi, Perry. Anyway, I'm waving it. And I said, he wants to be baptized. He, he's been watching us online a little bit and he's read our doctrinal statement. And so Charles, state your faith. I'm not going to pump him. I'm going to say, I believe, I believe Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. That's not a confession. That's just mimicking somebody. So state your faith. I mean, he just took off. He was on my time. <laughs> I believe that Jesus came as the incarnate, only begotten Son of God and that he... Started his ministry at age 30 and he called disciples and healed people and preached sermons. And, and he died on the cross for my sins and that three days later he rose from the dead. He was in heaven making intercession for us and he's going to come again. I'm going, I've never heard a confession like this from the baptistry. The people applauded when he was done before we did the baptism. <laughs> I said, not yet, not yet. I mean, this, it's amazing, uh, Charles. I, so I've been discipling him. I've talked about witness and Bible study and prayer and solitude and all the spiritual disciplines. We've been having lunch about every other week or so. He's growing like a weed. Good soil. I don't know how he came to this. He just found us. Four different types of soil. But here's the thing about this story. It looks like the sower loses three to one. You ever done the math on this one? Let's see, we got the hard soil, we got the rocky soil, we got the thorny soil, that's three. Got good soil, one. Does it seem that way in the world to you sometimes? That God's losing this battle? It looks that way. Maybe, I mean, just think about the culture in which we live I'm told that you have to knock on, and I hope this makes sense to you, it's kind of an older strategy, but knock on 10 doors to get one family to come to church. 
and to knock on a hundred doors to get one to be a convert? Does that seem right to you? That seem Who's winning this battle? The enemy or Jesus? But here's the thing. You've got to remember the tremendous productivity of the good soil. Tremendous productivity of the good soil. Normal yields in Israel, as I mentioned earlier, 15-20% tops. The shocking part of this story is a hundredfold. No one ever heard of that. So some of these guys that hung around Ozark Christian College would remember one of the old mission professors by the name of Harvey Backus. Harvey's gone on to be with the Lord now. Harvey, for a summer internship, went up to Cherokee, Iowa, just a little town northwest Iowa. He didn't have any converts all summer in the youth group except one guy. One guy gave his life to Christ. Just one guy. That's it. That's the fruit of his entire summer ministry while he was in Bible college. But the one guy was Stan Wollenhouse, who got married and had a big family, was a missionary in Brazil, taught at New York Christian Institute, later taught at Iowa Christian College, later taught at Ozark Christian College. His influence has been all over the globe. Just one convert. But look at the productivity of that soil. Not sure about you, but I, as I mentioned, have been all types of soils here. And that's what makes this parable a little slippery to catch. Here's my question as I end. How in the name of God do we stay productive? How can we stay productive? I only know one way. It's the last word. Keep hearing. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Oh, we need to download a whole theology from the Bible of hearing. Here's what you've got to understand. Jesus is not here right now, except in his body, the church. Okay? And I guess he's satisfied with us not seeing him physically right now. He's left his work. It looks as if Jesus would rather be heard than seen right now. So are you hearing him? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. It has to be a theology of hearing. And when you really hear, you'll follow him, you'll be transformed by him, and you will be on mission with him. God in heaven above, thank you for your love. And thank you for this later Friday evening where we can talk about these important things. Thank you for driving your mission into these upside-down stories. Dear God, help us to get our arms around them. In Jesus' name, amen.